I was helping them to think through how they can transform as the population transforms because of different long-term COVID-19 implications. Hey listeners, welcome to the 2020 show, where we try to decipher what the world past 2020 will look like. I'm your host and 2020 grad, Angelina Rainthorn. Let's dive in. This week, I am thrilled to welcome Angela Chen onto the 2020 show. Angela is a senior consultant at Deloitte. She specializes in public sector strategy and transformations and advises, gov- and, and advises governments on how to improve the efficiency, effectiveness, and impact of their service delivery. So Angela, thanks so much for being on the 2020 show. Of course, thanks for having me. Awesome, so um, let's jump right in. Tell me what made you want to specialize in the public sector. Full disclosure, I was in private sector when I first started consulting at Deloitte for like about a year, but three months in, I realized like I can't, <laughs> I can't do private sector consulting. I really need to feel like I'm making an impact, um, helping people to find fulfillment in my job. Right, that's awesome. Um, on that note, can you, can you walk me through maybe an interesting problem that you worked on at Deloitte? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that every project I've worked on at Deloitte has, I guess it's like unique characteristics, things that I really liked about it, things that were very interesting, but also things that were not. <laughs> but because we are in the middle of a pandemic, I'm going to talk about um, a COVID-19 project that I recently did. So I recently helped a provincial human services organization to determine how to respond to COVID-19. Um, Obviously, like this organization, it helps provide services for the vulnerable, and I was helping them to think through how they should respond to increased pressures from COVID-19 on the system in the short term, but also um, how they can transform as the population transforms because of different long-term COVID-19 implications. So, for example, um, like what's the impact of like remote work? Um, how is the economy impacted into the future? There's a lot of, um, I guess, strategic, but offer, but also operational considerations that we had to walk this client through. Um, but in the end, I'm glad to say that we developed a pretty good model. And then now we're working on actually implementing it to make sure that uh, people in this province are fully supported in this very challenging time. Can you give me a bit more on the specifics? Maybe so. You mentioned um, like working work at home and how that would impact um impact the economy so what what would the framework for moving forwards on something like that be how, how would you advise someone on a specific thing like that yeah for sure so that was um i guess like only one aspect of what we're thinking about um so if we're talking about like working from home in general there's a whole i guess like subsector of deloitte that really deals with the future of work and okay. how can we make sure that um both the people have what they need as like technology changes and they're working from home more like do they have like all these like online work options how can we encourage managers to think in a different way so they're not very micromanaging um but also from the organizational perspective like how do you actually ensure that there's still innovation in an organization because i feel like a lot of times random innovation happens when you bump into each other in the hallways and you have a little group going and you're just spouting out ideas um but in terms of like the work that we were doing for this particular human services organization um what the services that they provide um what i was specifically working on was essentially like um different benefits payments for people who are out of work so it was up to me and my team to determine like what exactly is 
work <laughs> per se. What exactly um, are people who are like adequately employed versus underemployed and how do the work hours factor into that? How do the working conditions factor into that? And also how does the working, um, like the mode of work, so is it online, is it in-person, is it a mix of both? How does that factor into these particular support payments as well? How did you go about trying to, to trying to attack that problem? Yeah, um, I can't share too, too much Not of the specifics, much, okay. unfortunately, yeah. um, but I would say like, I can talk about the approach. So sure. we made sure to take a very, very holistic approach because obviously like a lot of people are being impacted by this and in every single community in the province, um, like, and there's a lot of ways to consider a community. So like the demographics, uh, urban versus rural, the type of income, uh, so on and so forth. We try to really approach it from a people and outcomes perspective um, to ensure that when we're helping the organization to think about the change, it's not just about internally, um, what do we have the capabilities to do, but it's also externally about what do we need to do as a public sector organization to provide the services that people are actually depending on us for. Um, so it was, it, it was quite challenging in the sense that we had to respond very rapidly. Um, but it was also a very rewarding project because we were able to get all those opinions in the end and to think about um, very holistically how to tackle the challenge. Awesome, awesome. So kind of moving past this project, we're talking more on, on COVID. Can you tell me about how COVID has maybe impacted you, um, your job, or even consulting in general? Sure thing. Um, so I'll start from like me, yes. <laughs> the most narrow perspective. Um, so I would say that it's been very interesting to be working from home all the time um, because the typical consulting model is that you're on client site for four days a week and then you're in the office for um, one day on Friday to catch up with your deliverables, uh, catch up with your teammates and to basically have like a more relaxed day after four days of working hard and traveling. Yeah. Um, and when you're not doing that, um, like four, four versus one at the client site, you are able to either work at the office or work remotely wherever you want. So on one hand, it's been very different because of the lack of travel but on the other hand it's been very similar because it's a model that we've already adapted to and that we're already using um but regardless i don't think i've ever spent this much time at home before um since started my job like since i started my job about three years ago and it's been really nice to have this extra time at home because i've been able to focus on uh i guess like more work-life balance activities i've always been very passionate about creating impact as we just talked about but I found that once I started consulting it was hard to um, have the time to dedicate to different volunteer costs outside of work just because I didn't want to compromise what I was doing for my clients or compromise the uh, I guess like Deloitte extracurriculars in air quotes um, that I was doing for the firm so since I started COVID, I actually took up two uh, director, like executive level positions and two NGO boards. Oh. So that's been, thanks, like that's been very, very nice to finally fulfill uh, like a dream in the making <laughs> since I moved back to Toronto. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then in terms of my job or like what I guess Deloitte's doing, I would say that we've been trying very hard to anticipate and also to meet our clients needs in the public sector um i've helped 
my team to research and write various pieces of thought leadership on how a government can respond in the short, the medium, and the long term. Um, not only how to address the fallout of COVID, but really to use this time as a catalyst to transform how we serve citizens into the future. And then going even more broadly into consulting as an industry overall, um, I think like, I think the industry is changing a bit. Granted, I'm no like industry expert, um, but I know that because of the economic impact, it's hard for businesses to spend on consulting services if they're really struggling to make ends meet internally, right? Like if you're having difficulties to, uh, sorry, in paying your staff or in like ensuring them uh, like their lights stay on and so on and so forth, you're not going to want to or even have the necessary wherewithal to uh, engage consultants to solve some of the problems within the organization. Um, so businesses, I believe, will only retain consultants to solve like really high impact, high value activities in the future um, as it relates to their strategy and their operations. So this might look like, like going back to that future work uh, topic we just talked about, it might look like uh, org restructuring, making sure human resources have what they need to work in this new time, and also a lot of like digitization and creation of virtual platforms. How do you think that COVID will impact the public sector specifically going forward? Mm, I think the public sector is definitely changing as a result of COVID. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, but there's also a lot of opportunity. Um, I think what we've seen, or at least what I've seen, is that there is an increased reliance on public sector services and a changing expectation on how the public sector will provide for citizens. I think that um, if we look around the globe for different comparators, Canada is doing a more holistic job of really helping to manage the pandemic. Like if you see uh, Justin Trudeau, like he does his daily announcements from his house. Um, but then around the world and other jurisdictions, you really don't see that national leadership playing a big role and it's very much delegated, maybe even relegated to mm -hmm. cities or to townships to deal with the crisis um, but either way like I think the emphasis will become how do you provide services in an efficient and effective manner um, and also thinking about what are some rapid innovations that we can adopt to make sure that this comes to life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so has that been have these been some of the questions that you've been trying to answer with that the clients that you've been working on right now yeah for yeah. sure for sure like i think um and, and it's ongoing work too um i would say that like a lot of the stuff that we're working um, on with clients these are discussions that we've been having for months if not years of how do you make sure that services are delivered in a future-friendly efficient and effective way and COVID is just a catalyst to make everything uh, work faster um a lot of what we've been doing has been around like digital identities um so and also like digitization in general and making sure that government services are accessible online um because if you think about it like a lot of core services really aren't um so how do we really modernize in a way that still considers different needs of different populations uh, and ensures that these services can be online as fast as possible without compromising the integrity and quality of service delivery.
So um, kind of off of what you were talking on before, what, what can governments do to better prepare economies and communities for pandemics in the future or similar, um, similar large scale issues? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not an expert, but I would say like from my point of view, I think um, there needs to be a couple of things that are done and also a particular, I guess, way of approach. So start with like what I think I, the government needs to do. I think that the government really needs to improve like local response strategies because specific communities, they have specific needs that need to be considered when designing a pandemic response, right? Um, going back to what we talked about a little earlier, like of course an urban city center with high earning populations, they have different needs within a pandemic than a rural community that might be already struggling due to other compounding factors. So while having that national direction and national approach is very much needed, I think that um, things should also, sorry, like a strategy should also be tailored to the local context to make sure that people are better served um, and also nobody is really left behind by how these strategies unfold in the future. Um, something I was looking at beforehand was tracking all of the COVID-19 measures to see, sorry, by the government of Canada, to see if there was a cliff <laughs> when all the measures would end or if there's like a particular gap in the population. Um, thankfully, there isn't like a very big one or like the government realizes that there's stuff that they can be continuously doing to help improve the situation of those who are really um, severely hurt by the pandemic, but that's not always in the case for other jurisdictions uh, across the world. Um, and the second thing I think that governments could be doing to better prepare for the future is just to increase community resiliency um, in the sense that it's prevented, I think like pandemic prevention, it's truly preventative in nature in the sense that you have to try to create strong, economically resilient communities so that when the next pandemic hits, um, irregardless of like the scientific portion, because I really don't think I have the expertise to speak to that, um, people have more capabilities to withstand the fallout. So if a community is stronger and more financially, um, I guess, resilient at the outset, they'll probably have more savings. They probably have uh, better housing accommodations or at least more stable housing accommodations so that if a similar pandemic hits in the future, they have the ability to stay at home, work from home, um, so on and so forth. And then I also just think like, given all the false information and like random information that's been truly circling the web at a lightning speed, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I think um, that the government has a critical role in ensuring the timely spread of accurate information first and foremost. Um, and I guess like the last thing I would say on this topic is that these are all things government should do, but there's also like a mindset of approach that I think is very important um, and that mindset is just, you have to like try to shift public sector attitudes about, I think like a lot of public sectors think on like a constrained basis, but I would really encourage people to think about it from an innovation basis. So how do you really innovate to face challenges in a way that's resilient and versatile and sustainable? Yeah. yeah, and earlier, um, one of the points that you touched on was um, helping to try and build community resilience. I, I completely agree. I think that's, that's a very interesting point. When I think about that, my question is, how do you actually go about trying to implement something like that? How do you make sure that, you know, people, you're, you're making sure that on a, on a grassroots level, people are saving more and 
individuals are not prepared? Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really complicated question yeah. to answer. Um, and it goes back to the fact that there's so many confounding factors. Like if you think about um, like financial resilience, it, it has to do with like social demographic. It has to do with affordable housing, it has to do with education. It has to do with so much more. So I think it's about um, first like the government in conjunction with local grassroots organizations and also the community at large just committing or I guess like realizing a change is needed and then committing to working on the change in the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, even down the line because it is a long-term change. Um, and then like while that longer-term change is happening, thinking about how can we provide for particular sub-segments of the community in a very concerted way. Um, and I think that like a, an example of this is um, for example, the Trudeau government announced that there was funding for students um, to do their internships. And I think that's a really good way to try to tackle a longer term problem, which is students don't have work experience, they don't have money, they can't go back to school, they can't find um, good jobs after graduation, trying to tackle it now in a way that also helps support local businesses and support the economy at large. Right, so kind of trying to institute a more Longer, longer term thinking approach um, in in developing government policies. For sure, longer term, but also um, like immediate actions. So yeah. I really liked how that particular subsidy, as soon as it was announced, people could apply for it and students got it really easily. Um, I think that sometimes governments, because they're very um, rightfully concerned about getting things right on the first go, it might take years for different um, like outcomes to occur for different programs to be pushed out so that when it is eventually released to the public it's already dated or it's already missed its optimal window of opportunity so kind of moving away from the public sector do you looking out do you see any possible new opportunities for innovation that covid may open up for example on the short-term scale we've seen a lot of changes in how people work and that's led to um, different um, business opportunities or tech op tech innovation. So outside of those kinds of examples, do you have any predictions, ideas? Yeah, for sure. Like I think um, something that I've always been passionate about has been artificial intelligence and big data and yeah. the use of it uh, in our country, but also in the world. And I think that we've seen a lot of, um, I guess, like tactical applications of it through contact tracing, through um, different methodologies that were employed mostly in the Eastern Asian countries with good amounts of success. And I think that um, obviously there's like privacy concerns that we have to think about and ethical concerns that we have to think about when we're using and collecting so much information on citizens. Um, but I do think that with that type of knowledge and information at hand, governments can really use it to try to tailor solutions for its citizens so that in the future, um, people will actually get what they need specifically from the government versus a very blanketed approach of, this might work for some people, so we're just gonna roll it out to everyone. Right, so more, more data being used in how governments um, try and develop policy, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. I think um, there, there's just a lot of different applications of um, big data, and I'm really excited to see where it goes in the future for our government, but also the world as a whole. 
so there are lots of people who will be entering the workforce for the first time. Um, some mm-hmm. of them you're mentoring. So what can people in this position do to put themselves in the best position for not only short-term, but also long-term success? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that like it, it goes back to working on both your personal development and also your career development. Yeah. I think like the personal development part we talked about a little bit already, but I would just say like, it's very much um, like a marathon, not yeah. a sprint. Your career is essentially your entire life, right? So mm-hmm. if you burn yourself out right now, it becomes very difficult to motivate yourself to like work hard at your job. That's what you're like, into or transition into another industry or another type of field that you might be um, more passionate about. So I think it's so important for like people who get into consulting especially because a lot of them are more type a they're more ambitious that they need to slow down and take care of themselves and see friends and not abandon their hobbies and try to protect their work-life balance because that um like to your upper out or like through your promotion or whatever that mark is shouldn't be the be all and end all like it i don't i hope that people aren't so purposeful when they do their work but more so it's a learning and growth environment too mm-hmm. um yeah, and then I would say that on the more career development side, um, I think like to put yourself well for long-term success, it's really important to know how to reach out to people without being afraid. And also, I guess, approaching networking with a very natural curiosity. Um, you are young, like you want to be learning about all the types of possible career options or uh, life options or whatever else that's out there versus treating networking just as like ticking off the box which I do unfortunately see some people doing like sometimes I get these networking call invites from people and then once I hop on the call I'm obviously very disappointed because they treat it as like a, here's five questions I want to ask so I can say I talked to somebody at Deloitte versus <laughs> I'm yeah like very passionate about consulting I really truly want to learn about what you're doing um, and obviously the latter makes a better impression on me right yeah yeah and then um i would say like another tip that i have for long-term success is you want to have a sponsor who really cares about you and really supports you um either within your organization or like within the broader field of what you want to be working towards and that's just because um like your sponsor they're not so much like a mentor who gives you guidance but they're the type of person that talks well about you behind your back, talks about you to other leaders within the industry, other leaders in the firm. So they create a good um, impression of you to try to boost you up. And I think that in a world where um, a lot of young professionals, especially young women, I think like work very hard, but their contributions aren't necessarily recognized. A lot of times what they lack is a sponsor who will talk about them positively and spread their achievements to a broader audience. So I think that having someone like that within your personal network is very critical to your long-term success. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. It's been such a pleasure to get to speak to you. Um, and I'm really, really excited to share, to share your insights with our audience. So thank you so much. Yeah, for sure, definitely. And thanks for having me again. I think it was great to talk about um, not only just my journey to where I am now at Deloitte and Public Sector Consulting, but also about what's expected for COVID and also just how um, young people can 
try to better themselves without so much stress and anxiety on their shoulders. Hey again, it's your host, Angelie. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the 2020 show. We have some amazing guests lined up for you from leaders at tech giants, to founders, policymakers, and more. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.